Cool. Continue. There we go. Okay. Hi, John. Wonderful <laughs> to see you again. And uh, it's been a few years, right? Like I last saw yeah. you. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that. It was probably four or five years ago when last I saw you in person. When um, I remember it was here in Portland. It was important yeah. in the yeah. snow and ice. And it was, I was shocked you guys even made the gig because <laughs> it was treacherous out there. And, you know, because I'm from Boston originally, right? And, and spent so much time there. My friends that I went to the show with insisted that I had to drive because I'm the snow guy, right? I know about this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Huh? And I think I also remember seeing you at a show in Boston. Um, at yes. The, uh, something Cafe. Yeah, there was, um, I know I saw you in, and it was actually, it's one of the great jazz clubs in Cambridge. And um, yeah, Cambridge, that yes, was actually great. a great show. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's then, you know, like I'm I'm just trying to remember uh, when I first heard of you, and it's crazy to think about that, but it, it must it must be like twenty five years at least. Well, that's what I'm. Like yeah, I mean, when my when I did my first proper record and I had started the label and I was working with Torn and Tony, mm -hmm. and yeah, that was what nineteen ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. So were, were you on the uh, on the Lupus Delight mailing list, like from yes, the very exactly. beginning as well? Exactly. Back yeah, so in that, the that's, where, that's where we. Yeah, that's. Met, I know right? that's where we we began, and yeah. um, and it's funny too because that there were some really great people involved in all of that, and it it got stupid after a little while, but. Um, <laughs> But what's funny is all these years later, so many of us are now sort of coming together in this way. And um, just this morning, I was listening to uh, Mike Bearpark, who was on there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a new dark room coming that I played on a couple of years ago. I went over and did a session with them. Mm -hmm. That's finally going to see the light of day, I think, later this year. But I mean, it, it's a riot that, that you know. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I think it's it's just fascinating because as a young younger person, <laughs> you don't know how these things go, right? Right. Like you don't don't know like what what is what is thirty years? Like I have no idea as a twenty year old, right? Right. So, <laughs> you can't comprehend it. I know. Yeah. I yeah. Know. yeah. And and we still kind of like know each other, and it's this circle, and it's expanding, right? But there's also like the core the core people that are still working and. Yeah, you know, uh, are still having a career, and, and we know, like, yeah. like in in our circles where it's, let me just say this, I think it's true, uh, where it's more about the music than uh, something else. Any any commercial implications? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and 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 uh, it's kind of fascinating, that, but I think like especially that fact that it's it's um, it's more than a hobby. But it's not something that really you have to do in order to to make a living. Sort mm -hmm. of en enables these long-term friendships and long-term development, also artistic visions. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because because the I talked about this with uh, Stefan a lot. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that we don't have he and I are both in a similar situation. We don't have to worry about if this record doesn't sell. 
Yeah. Are we going to be able to put food on the table? Yeah. So, so for us, it really opens up all kinds of possibilities for what do we really want to do musically? And, yeah. and I think that that similar mindset is kind of why he and I in the past two years have done so much work. And uh -huh. um, I mean, I, I'm really happy to be involved in all of that. I think there's, there's some great things. I mean, goodness, what we all put together on the fractal guitar too was just so special. I mean, you're yeah, playing yeah. amazing, uh, torn always, you know, um, Henry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's not the end. It's not the end. You know, it's, I still, no, still sure. very much still in progress. There's, there's plenty more to be said and done. So you know, yeah. kind of one, one of the mistakes I used to make was thinking that any, any current project is like, let's say, that one statement that changes everything right uh, <laughs> and then i realized oh no it's just another stepping stone right and it's just another one along the way and yeah, you know yeah. tomorrow we're going to wake up and you and i are both going to have something different on our plate musically than we yeah. had today yeah exactly uh, and yeah. it's uh yeah, it's wonderful so you were talking about stefan Thelen, so i'm just just uh mention that for people and um you know before we go kind of like to um, this day and future releases and stuff. Um, so tell me, well, I have, I really don't know what you're doing for a living. So that, that would be interesting to know, but also like your history, like how, um, how you got into, how your love for music developed. I'm sure you're interested in that. Sure. Um, it, it started in my youth and, and um, I have a real distinct memory of hearing roundabout. Uh, by yes, when I was eight years old, whenever it came out. Um, and, you know, that moment that just clicks in your brain that says, this is, this is what I'm about. This is what matters to me. And from that point forward, I have just been completely obsessed with, with music. And my grandfather designed church organs and and um, played them and played piano and taught music uh, at a at a private school for most of his life. Um, so music was always a, a part of our existence growing up. And I have an uncle who's actually um, in the Hall of Fame as a baseball writer, but he also is a rock and roller and in, he's he's as known for his rock and roll as he is for his baseball understanding and he lived with us when we were kids and i still remember him you know he would play records for us and and i can remember hearing the yardbird song tinker taylor soldier sailor when i was i don't know 3 years old or something and jimmy page you know does the bowing guitar in the middle of that mm -hmm. tune. And I, I somehow or other, even at that age, I understood what was actually happening. And I, years later, when I heard the song, you know, as an adult, I was like, I, I could, I could picture that moment hearing it on the floor of our house, you know, as a kid. So it's always been there, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I have, a, I have another funny one from, from when I was a kid, I, I was in, um, I was in a class, 
uh, probably like sixth grade or something. So I was maybe 12. And you'll appreciate the song because, because it was, I had this moment in my head where I could actually hear the song, hear all the parts and have like a mixing console on my head. So I could isolate the drums. I could isolate the guitar, the bass, the vocals. It was Exiles by King Grimson. <laughs> and, 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 the teacher apparently was yelling at me because I'm spacing out in class, right? <laughs> I'm just like playing with this mixing console on my head. And I had no idea, right? <laughs> so, so I think it's always kind of been there, right? <laughs> yeah, but then then it needs to become sort of like, uh, uh, like a lot of practicalities involved to kind of there like are, get into it. The, yeah, so, so then, you know, I initially went to Berkeley College of Music, and I actually, like a lot of people, I ran away screaming because it, it was this, everybody's taught the same, to play the guitar the same way. And these are the, these are the founding, you know, methodologies by which we do this. Mm -hmm. And I, at the same time, I, I played in a wedding and realized that this is how most people coming out of Berkeley are making their living. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do it. I was like, this is not a, this is just not an option for me. And so um, I, I instead uh, went and got a, a marketing degree. So how, ended, how, how long did you last at Berkeley? Like a year or a year? Less? Yeah. A year. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, uh, so I got a marketing degree and went to work initially for um, a hi-fi company, stereo equipment, and then uh, went from there to Lexicon. And I spent I, six, seven years working for Lexicon um, before David Torn said, you got to start this record label. And um, we, we saw this, we saw this change the way the internet was going to, you know, um, change the whole world and how we, how we think about music. And, Initially, we saw it as a way to kind of get people out of the middle between the artist, the label, and the buyer, which is kind of what's happened. But along the way, the whole, we didn't foresee CDs going away. We didn't see, you know, at the time, the idea that you would be able to download a whole album was miles away. I mean, we were still on 14.4 modems at that point. Right. You know, yes. the idea that we were, you know, the way we're making records today, right. Transferring files back and forth, that wasn't an option. Right. Um, and it wasn't, I, I certainly didn't see that. And, and, uh, but in any case, it was a, it was a really interesting time. And, and um, at, at that point, I had young kids and they were, you know, like one and four and, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and said, look, my wife's job is really good. You know, she's, she's an accountant. She's, you know, got her master's and she's working for a really good company and doing really well. One of us needs to be home and it probably ought to be me because, you know, I'm never going to be the one making a ton of money. And so this was a great opportunity for me to start this label get some really interesting music out there with people like um, 
Um, Wen Krantz and Lenny Stern, we had uh, Gary Willis, Michael Manring did a record for me. Um, it, it was a really cool and interesting time. And about three years in, everything changed and all the distributors started one by one going bankrupt, out of business. And so can you, you give know, us uh, the timeline? Like which year was that would have been about 1999. I, th I started the label in 1996, about 1999 to 2000 was when um, Borders went out of business, Tower went out of business. Um, my distributors one by one started going and um, it was just, it, it ended up being a really ugly time to be to be a label. And so at that point I stopped doing, releasing albums by other artists. I, I just kind of, from there on, it was just gonna be me. And um, since then, I, you know, I've continued making records. I had a period um, from about 2007 to 2011 where I stopped making records and focused entirely on my kids and actually had a band with them, which was great fun. They, when we started, they were 11 and 14. And we were playing things by um, Porcupine Tree and Foles and um, Sigur Ross and just having a blast, right? And taught my kids how to be in a band. And now they're both in bands and really, you know, things that teenagers, you know, I would make them come prepared, right? You know, so I don't, I don't crack the whip hard, but I'm like, you know, we're going to play this tune. There's nothing you can't play. Just, you know, work on it so that when the band gets together, you know where we are, you know, and oh, you know, pain in the ass dad thing. Now, you know, they're like, thank you so much. You taught me so much about how to be ready to do this, you know? Yeah, it was great, it was great fun. Yeah. We had a we had a really good time. And and funnily enough, we're talking about trying to have a reunion with um the drummer was actually my drummer from high school and he um lives nearby and and um we got together and played and had such a good time that that you know we pulled the kids in and did it did all that for four years and then you know, life goes so, on. So how how did it how did it feel not to make records? Did you miss it or I didn't really miss it. I didn't I felt like I didn't really know what I wanted to say for a while musically. I was like, I, there we go in cycles where you know the creativity is high and then it ebbs and then it's high and then it ebbs. And um I was just in a low spot with that, and I felt like I'm not going to make a record just to make a record. I have to have something to say. And that was when I came out of it, that was the start of what's been a really super creative 10, 12 years now. Um, and a lot of that, what came out of it was that um, after my, my last album before um, taking a break flood, um, my older son and I had really gotten into Porcupine Tree and they were playing in New York at a, at the Beacon Theater. And in Boston, they were playing a 21 plus show. 
So I couldn't bring him to see them there. So, but it was a weekend. And so he and I went and had a guy's weekend. And Tony had been, um, Tony Levin had been opening for them in Europe. And so I sent him a note saying, hey, I'm bringing my son and he's a, he's a bass player and wants to meet Colin. And so Tony arranged for us to get backstage passes to meet Colin. And that ended up being how he and I, Colin Edwin and I became musical partners. Because when I started writing what became my album, Dance in the Shadow Planets, Initially, I was thinking it would be, you know, Tony playing it. And then I started listening to the bass lines that I was coming up with. And I said, no, 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 no. Those are Colin Edwin bass lines. And so sent him a note saying, hey, do you remember we met up in New York? And he said, yeah. And I listened to your record and I think it's great and cool. I'd love to. And it turns out that that was right when they split up. And hey, so let, he, me tell, let me tell you something about this, because this may be interesting. Like, I never really wondered why you guys had met, because I think you guys are a perfect match. <laughs> that was the funny part about it. We we were. I mean, that first meeting, we just sat there, he and I and my son, and we're, we spent an hour just talking. Yeah. Just, you know, as, as just person to person, you know, interesting people and same sort of mindset and all these things. And you're absolutely right. It is like when we started working together um you know he got the he got the demos and he started working on them and the first thing he said to me when he landed was he said you know i was playing these the night before i left and my wife came downstairs which is something she never does to ask what it was i was working on right <laughs> and and he said it it's just you know this this great combination and we we cut that whole album live in the in the studio and um it, it was just such a great vibe between everybody involved that the next um let's see so we recorded that in like march it came out in september in january i just sent him a you know happy new year note and he said so what are we doing next <laughs> I said, well, I've, you know, I've had a couple ideas, but they're kind of the same thing as what we just did. And he said, well, I have an idea. Let's try writing together. And so we start sending files back and forth and it's just been, it's been nonstop since then. We've just always found this great sense of, John's going to like this, you know, he'll come up with a baseline or whatever. That's just, this is great for John. I'll come up with an idea that's perfect for him. And we just, we seem to, we really seem to, uh, you know, finish each other's sentences musically. It's mm -hmm. really cool. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I feel so badly too, you know, when, when we did the, the first Progtoberfest, you guys were on the other stage the same time we were on. We we were both closing the 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 show, right? And so we couldn't see each other other than you know two seconds before. And I I felt so bad because I wanted to see you guys. I know you I guys. Re I remember that now. I remember doing. that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like oh, terrible timing. But <laughs> you know, I I've, I've never spoken to Colin. I'd really like to at some point. 
Oh, 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 you should. He's such a, he's such mm. a great guy. And, mm. and so just deep knowledge and, um, you know, but also fun and friendly and, and yeah, you'd have a, you'd have a great conversation with him. It's, uh, yeah, you'd enjoy yeah, I, re- it. I remember like one of, one of the, uh, few albums that I was binging, let's say <laughs> was, uh, Returning Jesus by No Man, uh-huh. like which mm-hmm. is Stephen Stephen and Tim Bonas, yep. right? Yeah, and and he plays bass on that, and like yep. those parts were so beautiful, and that's where I was became aware of him first. I I, I wasn't really so much into the Porcupine Tree uh, band, so right. I didn't pay that much attention. But yeah, they they came late for me too. Um, but I knew I, I had heard him on the um, he played on a a Jansen Barbieri uh, Karn record mm-hmm. um, along with uh, Torn and and I and I you know immediately picked up on this really cool fretless bass and said oh this guy's this guy's got something going and so when I finally got into Porcupine Tree it was um, it was great. I, you know, the band just really hit all sort of the right notes for me at the time. And, um, yeah. It's funny how, how everything is connected there. Like in, in these musical scenes in particular, you can kind of like see, okay. And, you know, like I have to say, I had completely forgotten that you were in, that you were working for Lexicon now, yes. like I, but you know, I completely <laughs> forgotten about that. And that also explains why, while you were in the studio for the Polyton right, album, right, for the recording, exactly, like one exactly. of my favorite albums ever. Oh gosh, yes, I that I, you know, it's still um, it's still sort of fresh in my mind being there, even though what year was that? Ninety one. Um, it was a long time ago, and ago. I I remember, you know, I went up to Burlington to. Um, just hang in the studio with them for a little while. And it was just such a great experience. The, um, so many interesting things were, were happening, you know, in the course of the one day. And, and um, the funny part too is, is that I had, actually now that I think about it, it would have been 93 because my, my first son had just been born. And um, so I didn't stay overnight and I, and I left the studio at about at about midnight and drove home through the night and about five hours for me to get home and you know arrived at five o'clock in the morning just shattered but um oh it was great that 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 whole album I remember there was the solo on on one of the tunes that torn cut while I was there and my immediate reaction was I want more. I want more. And he said, no, 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 no. This is all it needed. This is, you know, just, just a few bars of just this wonderful tornisms. And um, yeah, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, the label was worse or is Alchemy Records? Alchemy Records. Yeah. 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 And so um, ever since the business changed so much, you started to kind of like release your stuff on the label and mm-hmm. not okay i see yeah. yeah yeah sort of sort of like the the way it went for a lot of people actually yes exactly i mean you know and i i i tell people now you know 
you really don't want to be on a label. I mean, it's it's great if they're going to do some marketing, but most of them aren't, aren't going to do any marketing for you. And so they're only going to take money away from you. Yes. <laughs> you know? exactly. So you're really better off just, you know, just doing it yourself now. And um, I mean, it's it's a really weird time to, to try to be a musician. And um, I feel badly for anyone coming out of, you know, a place like Berkeley where <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, and especially in the pandemic, right? You know, okay, so so our our drummer in in Burnt Belief, Vinny Sabatino, fabulous drummer, and you know he plays in a wedding band. That's his that's his gig. And for a long time, they made a lot of money. They did really well. Um, they used to have a lead singer um named ray green who uh left the band uh to join tower of power and then left them to join carlos santana Um, and they replaced him with a guy named jermaine paul who actually won this tv show the voice i don't know if you know about that show right big american you know contest thing and i mean you know (laughs) this is the sort of and oh and the bass player uh was baron brown who used to play with sean luke ponty and steve smith and billy cobham and you know all these fusion grades but you can't make a living doing that anymore so (laughs) you know yeah you know it's like it's like everything that kind of like used to work just Mm -hmm. isn't working anymore and yeah and you know, I I came right at the time when the business started crumbling. Like my right. first solo CD was in uh, I released it in early '98. Yeah, and I was lucky, kind of, because I had already uh, done some networking on the internet between '93 mm-hmm. and '98, like five years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, of being on those mailing lists and writing yes. writing to DJs and uh, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I was kind of like prepared. I. I I think I only did 300 copies initially and mm-hmm. like 150 copies I sent out to people I had uh, met online. Right. Right. Sure. And, and that was, that was kind of like the start of it. And then the very first deal I had was with Ian body on DIN records. Mm-hmm. And right. that was, that right. was a 50, 50 split situation. So mm-hmm. I was never involved in, in any of the old ways right sure treating musicians right 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 so um and i i have to say um i mean there it's it's a deep deep topic lots of lots of uh, difficult things here and like like for example right now like we're you know we have had some problems with uh, with our text uh, advisor like the the bookkeeping and stuff mm-hmm. and now it turns out that like just just even assigning the the lines in the in Bandcamp uh, in the Bandcamp report sheet properly yep. take took them like for one year of, of reporting took them like nine hours to do. Oh jeez! So if you can just imagine that cost, yeah, yeah. you yeah, yeah. deduct that from the little money you're making off of right. Bandcamp. Right. Well, I mean, right. I, and you actually we're actually making a lot of. We're doing a lot right. better with yeah. than without yeah. it. I'll tell you that. So, but, but the business, the business is just. Oh, that business is just so insane, and and really, and I think that maybe you, I, I, I think you would agree that making records has become sort of like a way of of um, 
of being around, of kind of like showing what you do, and and then sort of like, um, like yeah, you have you have a job, right? Or you used to have a job. I don't know if <laughs> I used to have a job. My my wife still has a really good job, so yes, uh, it's, no, so we, it's awesome. We, that's awesome. We get to live comfortably, and I get to make music. It's a great thing. Yes, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> So, so, but it's really that that if we if we uh, want to want to be want to make art, we need to have other sources of income. Actually. Oh, for sure. And that's that's Absolutely. that's sort of like a it's a reality, and it's uh, yeah. And I mean, like the um, how many records have you put out, like on your label? So, um, let's see uh the the total so the new one is is number um 39 which technically because i started at five for no good reason so 34 <laughs> altogether between all the various you know albums that have come out on the label oh. and um and i and it you know and in some cases that that almost doesn't count because they're you know um it's more like uh 30 more like 30 because there were a couple of singles that got you know just released it but it needs a catalog number so it became a catalog number and um you know i did the two things with peter chilvers um this this past year that one was an ep one was a full album and all because we we just made too much music and just felt like all of it needed to come out but you know um but, but still it's on average it's one one release per year right it Lots has been and and but in the last in the last year it's just bumped up exponentially um i've done in the last two years uh six albums <laughs> because just so many things have just happened and um so many people like peter chilvers like stefan thalen who finally you know said oh, john let's work together and i said sure let's let's go and and um and uh, please correct me if i'm wrong but it seems to me also that a lot about and i mean it's in the best way possible a lot about your sound has come together also like in a very 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 strong way like <laughs> would you agree yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. definitely i felt like um i felt like just just a lot happened when I when I picked up the fretless guitar, and and that was um, that was the third Burnt Belief album, so so like 2016, mm -hmm. and um, I had, I mean, the history for me with the fretless guitar goes all the way back to 1978 when um, I saw a guy named Randy Roos open um, for John McLaughlin at Berkeley, and he utterly blew my mind i mean you know i walked away going i i like this guy better than mclaughlin mm -hmm. and he ended up being my teacher a couple of years later and i you know so I, and and we're still really good friends i just emailed with him yesterday and um for the longest time i wasn't going to approach playing fretless guitar because of him because it was like how could i possibly touch this thing that he had such a huge impact on me with and and then my brother kingsley showed up one one day um with a fretless guitar that he'd had built for him 
and uh, put it in my hands. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started playing, I knew I had I had no choice. I, I this was like it was there, right? It was this it was this voice that that I had that was just waiting for me. And all the things that I would do with the whammy bar, you know, pulling up and you know sliding it around and doing all these things. All of a sudden, now it's all just in my left hand, and it just opened all sorts of doors up. And um, yeah, yeah, it really it, that was a huge change for me and and a really positive one so isn't it amazing how how the the control let's say you have over the tone and the connection with the tone sort mm -hmm. of is more is more than just it it just as you say it opens many doors and it's it's like if you if you think about it like it's not that you're subdividing really it's not you're dividing the string right it's you are actually it changing that is there's no fret like there's there's movement exactly. to every it's single a, note a, and it is and it's a what it is to me is a it's an almost vocal connection it's yeah. like i can i can really feel how i would say sing this phrase right mm -hmm. through my hands and i yeah. it's it's yeah. the ex expressiveness that that goes way up when you have an instrument that's fretless and yes and like like i and you know i'm playing a fretted instrument and for me like whenever i try to play a keyboard instrument for example like it may be triggering even the same sound that i would trigger from my <laughs> guitar right it's not the same it just is not the same like like the way you can kind of like dig in with you know, your skin the contact of your skin with the string and, totally. and then have that as the fretless thing is just amazing yeah it's yeah. a funny thing right we have we have this visceral connection between our our hands and our instrument and in both of our case, because we play fretted or fretless stringed yeah. instruments, that sensation is very different from the keyboards that you know you see behind me. And I do fumble around with keyboards and have been using them more and more in the last year, but it's not the same. But funnily, when I, you know, I have MIDI on my guitar and I can play, I'll do mini Moog solos on the guitar. I'll do, you know, um, I'll play various keyboard parts, but when it comes to piano, I need to put my hand here on the keys because my, the, the tactile sensation, if I want a piano, it's not the same. And I can trigger it on the guitars and it's not the same. No, of course not. Of course it can't, <laughs> can't be. Because no. it's it's, all, it's always a combination of the sound source and the controller, right? If we yes, wanted. exactly, and and that's that's what makes the stringed instruments and especially the fretless instruments so extremely unique because it's it becomes both, you know, both worlds merge yes. when your finger touches the string. And there's like one one detail that uh, about guitar playing that people hardly ever mention that I that I've discovered works really well when you teach guitar is to make people aware. That if you pluck a string and you you fret it, you can actually feel the vibration of that pitch within your fingertip, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Like yes. It should, it's 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 super obvious, but people don't talk about it, and I find it very important because that's the immediate feedback yes. you have. You don't need to amplify your instrument in order to hear that, to feel that. No, right? to really feel it exactly. And if if you teach them to focus on that, then they can. That will help them grasp 
how the fingering works, how it changes the tone, how it, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, let's, let's, let's jump around a little bit. So your history of the guitar, you said that you went to Berkeley. That was with an electric, I'd say, I yes. guess, right? Yes. So yes. But what was your first guitar? Let's see. So when I was 12, I got my first guitar, and it was an acoustic guitar. And it, it, I, it was, it was steel, like an epiphone. Steel string acoustic, yep. And I, and I played around, um, but I knew I wanted to play electric. I mean, all the music that I was listening to, all the guitar players I was hearing, they were all electric players. And I got my first electric when I was 14. And I and I spent my I spent that year working in a market to to earn enough money to buy an amplifier. And and I still have that. The I'd, I bought a um, a lab series l5 and i still proudly have that amp wow. <laughs> it's it's pretty abused at this point but it's it still great. works yeah 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 in fact i i it was funny my my younger son plays guitar and he he's he's gotten extremely good and he and i pulled it out when um i was back east this past summer and he came down for a day to visit with me and we're handing a guitar back and forth and playing through that amp the two of us just kept looking at each other like why haven't we played this all along <laughs> yeah um so yeah so that was so i i got like a like a, a copy of a telecaster was my my first electric and then when i was 16 i got my first stratocaster and that was that was like a big step Right. And interestingly, so that was about, that was right after, yeah, that was 1980. And that the summer before that, I'd had the great opportunity to do one of those tours that, you know, um, the, the, the best high school jazz musicians in the country, right? Um, which really means the best high school jazz musicians whose parents can afford to send them on one of these tours, right? Because um, some of the players were great and some were not. But um, we, we got to play in the Montreux Jazz Festival and, um, you know, toured wow. all over. And it was great. It was a fabulous experience. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so it was kind of logical that you went to Berkeley, right? It wasn't. Yes, just, exactly. Uh, yeah, I yeah. see. I see. Yeah. But I, I find it, I find it extremely, um, like you, you must have been really very aware of yourself to kind of make that call and, and leave that school to do something yeah. else. Yeah, I was. I, you know, I, I knew that. Um, like I say, you, you, you play one wedding and you know you can either do this or you can't. And the, the fact is, at the time, I was so wrapped up in listening to ECM records, you know, that anything else, just I wasn't moved by it. And I, if I'm not moved by it, I, you know, it's hard for me to pick up the guitar to play, you know, something that doesn't move me, I, you know. Um, so... Um, it really was a yeah. It was a it was an obvious choice on my on my part when I when I realized yeah I I've got to walk away from this. So um, 
for me, um, just for you to know, like when I decided not to study music, which was on the table for a while, um, it actually made me really, uh, I was really relieved and I was actually practicing and I had a lot of fun with the instrument. Like, like it, it really was, you know, because I was the pressure was off. yeah, the pressure was off and I was studying psychology, which was hard. Right. Nice. Some, but somehow, somehow doing two things, which both took time <laughs> away, sure. you could say, mm -hmm. like it was much, much easier to do, to study and to study. Right? Sure. Sure. Because, because your, your focus on, on psychology is you know you're you're focusing on this with an eye towards okay there's a there's a viable livelihood here somewhere mm -hmm. yeah. whereas with music they're studying music at a, at a high level requires the same amount of time and discipline mm -hmm. with minimal outcome and um <laughs> an, an incredible amount of i mean an incredible amount of pressure and frustration um, <laughs> and frustration from um it, it's hard to explain there's a lot of people that view like music education almost as a almost as like a like a sport right you mm -hmm. you know there's this there's this um pressure to perform exactly and and it's very intense and it's very um it's very competitive it's like you know you have to be as good as this guy over here who's winning this competition and and music to me was never a competition wow. it was wow. never been and 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 it never you know all the all the musicians that i like and this goes for you it's it's people that i can i can hear you play one note and i go oh there's marcus right mm. alan holdsworth one note you know it's out right you know, people like that are the ones that inspired me. And, mm -hmm. and to this day, it's the same thing. It, it's, um, you can have all the chops in the world, but if, if you're playing something that's kind of generic and, and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't move me. And um, I don't know why, but from day one, that, that was the way I was inspired. You know? Hey, hey let, let's think. Let's think about the implications of what we're saying for 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 young people who who kind of like <laughs> it can can be pretty uh, much dis disillusioning, right? Like, uh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a I'm a downer, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no, no. But the, the, and I'm I'm serious about this. Like, what's the alternative? Like, kind of like what what could we? How could we help them, right? Like, what could we say that would help them? <laughs> well, I think I think it comes down to inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, um, music has always been and always should be about inspiration. So, um, whatever it is that inspires you, and it doesn't matter whether you like my music or or anybody else's. It doesn't matter what it is. If it inspires you, mm -hmm. then that's a wonderful thing, and. And that, to me, that quest for finding something new that's exciting and and challenging and and makes you feel like, uh, you know, when I hear a piece of music that moves me, like goosebumps come up, and you know, it's just 
right? Tears start flowing and you start going, yeah. this is what it's about. And it's, yeah. and it's not, you know, again, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's, you know, your music, my music or, or Bach or, you know, it's music. You know, I, I was once teaching a, a master class at one of the big uh, music for popular uh, schools for popular music here in Germany. And it was a class for guitarists. And I asked them, like, which music are you inspired by? And they really couldn't answer. They couldn't give me an answer. That was so shocking that's, to me. That's sad. I, I super sad. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't didn't even know the names of guitarists. Like you believe it or not, but one guy was saying Slash. I mean, it's I have no problem with Slash, but that's but but it was it was just so interesting like, that people can actually get into schools like that uh, without seemingly having a passion for for the subject matter. You know, that's yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that is very because I, you know, um, when my kids were taking music lessons, there's a, um, a music school that they went to. Um, uh, community music school um, near our home outside Boston. And I had a conversation because I got on the board there and, and, you know, spent, spent a few years, you know, working on the board and helping them. And I had a conversation with the, um, the president about that very sort of thing, because we were talking about a couple different students, one of whom was like a, an 11 year old prodigy could play all kinds of really amazing things on piano until you took the music away. And then there was nothing he couldn't, you know, he could, he could read perfectly, but he, but he couldn't, he didn't think music. He just, he had learned to, to just play the notes. And then there were other, other students who could really play, but couldn't necessarily read. They were, you know, they were they were more natural sort of fluid you know and and you know the question was always how you know how do you find the balance and what's more important and to me what was important was well the kid might the you know, the prodigy might find the passion one day hopefully if something you know but somebody's got to instill it in him i think and point him in that direction and um the other ones already have it <laughs> so you know then it's then it's a matter of now we got to work on some fundamentals but it is it, it's an interesting challenge isn't it it's that it's that um it was always obvious to me so i never nobody ever had to tell me you know and i and i don't know how you know i i saw it with my own kids you know my my older son didn't you know didn't express a lot of interest in in various sports or whatever he would try them he would do them and he took up the bass and it was like a lot of things he was kind of fumbling with it and then he um let's see the the end of his freshman year in high school um he asked if if i would get him the um the songbook for um, for Stadium Arcadium by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he spent the entire summer just kind of locked in his room woodshedding on Flea's bass lines. 
and taught himself to play the bass because he really wanted to. But his his bass teacher didn't know how to draw that out of him. And and I tried to be hands off in terms of teaching. It was great being in the band with them, but I wasn't going to be your teacher teacher, you know. And um, but he found it, you know, he completely um, taught himself what he needed to do to be able to play Flea's bass lines. And, and that was great, but it was entirely his own passion for it. So. Yeah, it's, it's like this, uh, you know, I've been traveling a lot. I've been in the U S a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of like, not that I'm trying to actively compare cultures, but but it happens. What what I find find kind of like um, really detrimental in a way is when I see, and I've seen this both over there in the US as well as in Europe, is if mediocrity gets rewarded and mm -hmm. gets re rewarded over a long periods of time, I can I can sort of see souls getting crushed by that. Yes. And I think that is that's horrible. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's if it's happening right in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is something where at least I have a sense that we need to be careful sometimes. Because like okay, I have a have a two-year-old daughter, right? So I, I need to reward her for things, but and I'm sure I will find a way to be balanced. Um but uh, you know, and I see that, and I don't know how this relates to something like Berkeley, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. And when I say mediocrity, I'm I'm talking about uh, with that we we're talking about the arts. We're not talking yeah. about playing fast or something like <laughs> right. that, right? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 certainly in America, and and it's it's really distressing to me because of the the nature of our popular culture mm -hmm. and and television comes into this and and certainly you know what we see on youtube and what have you there's a there's, there's a fairly dramatic race to the bottom <laughs> if you will in terms of it's how generic can you know can it get <laughs> and um it's like you know um standing out and being something really unique and different. I mean, goodness, when I was a kid and, and, and we had FM radio was new and, and you could, you could make the album dark side of the moon and sell 50 million copies of it today. If a band were to present dark side of the moon to any label in the world, they'd say, you're out of your mind. I can't, I can't do anything with this. Mm -hmm. You know, where's the country song? <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's it's tragic to me because because the, you know we're not rewarding creativity well enough. We're not rewarding you know really coming up with something that's exceptional. So let me let me try you know at least try to be devil's advocate. <laughs> okay. So so I'm I'm wondering like because I. I'm not the kind of guy who kind of like really easily gives in to ideas like this, where I say things were better or mm -hmm. 
I, I, because I don't, I don't fundamentally, I don't believe that to be the case. But what I believe is sort of happening is that the spirit of something, mm -hmm. like the spirit of the music business or the music that has been made in between, I don't know, whatever, you know, 60s, 70s, right? Yep. Like it has, it's probably moved into some other body into some other other form that's kind of like what i would would hope it would be great and 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 the, the, you know again the upside is there are people doing really interesting and super cool and creative things and that's the upside mm -hmm. and part of the problem too is is you know um I had a discussion years ago when I was still at Lexicon and, and home studios were becoming, you know, a viable thing, right? The, the ADAT had come along and the, and the DA88 and this notion of, of, you know, home studios becoming really professional. Um, one of the guys that used to run like ProSound News, you know, sat down with me and, and said, you know, what, what have we done? Mm -hmm. Have we have we gone too far? And I said, yeah, I think we have. And sure enough, you know, studios one by one started going away. And the fact is, everybody can make records at home. And so they do. And so the amount of the, the just sheer volume of music that people have to sort through to get you know to get to something exceptional is staggering and and if there was one thing that was good about the the labels back in the old days it was that at least for a while somebody was making some sort of quality assessment and they and it and it may have gone from being quality to quantity right somewhere in the 70s to the 80s um where we began talking about product instead of albums <laughs> um but but there was still some degree of somebody had to say yes i can work with this or no that's crap we got to get rid of this this isn't gonna you know I, I just heard an interesting story on the radio a couple of days ago that apparently on the 18th of september 1978 I remember this because it's my brother's birthday. Okay. Uh, all the members of KISS back then, they put out solo albums on the same day, on that day. Yep. And and they kind of like pressed, they pressed a total of 32 million records. And they, those records were flops. Yes. And, and, <laughs> do you remember that? Because I, 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 I do. <laughs> I do. I remember well. And see, I was never a fan, but I thought I, you know, I thought we were this was this was sort of that era, right? Remember, all the members of Yes had done solo albums, all the members of Genesis ended up doing solo albums, and yeah, all the members of KISS did solo albums as well. And in all cases, none of them did anything like the band that they were. And except for one, except for one, and that would be Phil Collins. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was, and and but but it was a period of excess, right? Yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, the stories from the studios, the, you know, when, when, when the police did their, their last couple albums and they flew the whole band and crew and, and cocaine down to the islands to, you know, <laughs> make a record. It's like, <laughs> right. And you know, it's so funny because like, I guess, I guess people who are initially in, into music, like they don't, they couldn't care less about stuff like that. Right. 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 And so, and so that, becomes, <laughs> uh, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, but so, funnily it, enough, so, so, you know, speaking of studios and, and excess from that period, um, you know, the, uh, so the new burnt belief is coming and and we actually had a plan that the pandemic foiled which was that we were actually going to write the music the way we've been doing sending files back and forth but then we were going to go to a studio in london to record it and you know cut the bass drums and guitar live the final parts and the studio we were going to use is pete townsend's barge um which is uh in london and we had uh mixed the edwin durant cofton record there a couple of years ago had a fantastic time loved it the vibe was spectacular and um uh, i remember I, I was in there talking to the the guy that that runs it and, and it suddenly dawned on me that that studio for a while was actually owned by the cocteau twins and he was like, okay, how did you know that? <laughs> I was like, oh, see, I used to work for Lexicon, and I remember I was really into the Cocteau Twins, and when I heard they bought Pete Townsend's studio, I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> but, so, and did, did you end up recording there? No, we didn't end up doing it because of the pandemic. And um, it's funny, we, you know, Colin and I have talked about this. The, the fact is the album really somehow still feels very alive to us, even though we, you know, everybody recorded their part, you know, remotely. And to the extent where the drums, this is really crazy, but this is where technology has taken us. Vinny's drums were recorded at his house, but the guy who recorded them went and set up the mics when Vinny was not there, then went back to his house and remotely dialed into his recording gear to record from his house when Vinny's at his house. I mean, this is the pandemic. This is what we had to do, right? Yeah, yeah but you know, it's it's kind of true. I think um, it's sort of funny when when people ask me about Stickman, like rehearsing or mm -hmm. recording together. Like, hey, what are you talking about? Like, do we have <laughs> do we have any any money left? To, to spend on getting together before right. the tour no right. like, no I mean, <laughs> and this is this is the thing right because you guys are in a very similar situation to burnt belief colin and i are he's in london yeah. i'm here in portland vinnie's in boston the physical cost of putting us in the same room right yeah you know it, it's it's crazy and, and, I, think, and I think because like like making a record is like making a piece of art and i think anything goes and the studio as like the technology like yeah just let's use it you know let's use mm -hmm. it and I, you know i recorded an album with and for an artist over the internet like mm -hmm. I, you know she's a flutist and, mm -hmm. and she's in she's in houston 
Uh-huh. And she had, I, I asked a friend, uh, an engineer to go to her house, to set up microphones and to set mm-hmm. up uh, audio, an audio movers connection mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And so we improvised together. So like her signal was sent to me in Berlin. I was treating it here in my looping setup, sent it back to her, and she was improvising to her own playing via my laptop in Berlin. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I, I mean, I, the fact that we can even contemplate doing this, right? I mean, yes, this is yes. it's amazing. And so, so here with, with Mark Wingfield, for example, uh, we mm. did that as well, but we both played at the same time. So it's funny because, like, there, as you know, there's the, the, the time lag, right? And yes. And and you don't really know. Am I actually now playing after him or before him? You don't. You don't. Just don't know. But it's but it's funny because you you're just reacting to whatever you're hearing, right? Or you're acting, uh, and and it works. It works. <laughs> I I for, forgive me if I've missed it. Uh, is do you have something new with Mark coming, or is it no, is no, it but, already? Yeah, it's it's out. Like you know, we did these these things. Uh, it's it's a it's a band called Tear or Tear. Oh, oh okay. And that's that's a duo project that we oh, okay. put out uh, outside of outside of the work with with Moonjum Records. Right. So, okay. Oh, yeah, I need to, I need to I need to I need to get that. Yeah. Because I I love his playing. He's a just fabulous player. So yeah. I very much want to hear that. Yeah. But like what I what I'm what I'm also trying to say, I think it would be great maybe to at some point make a like a kind of like not I don't want to say huge, but let's say four or five people get together on Zoom, we connect up with with audio movers and we just improvise together, and everybody records their their own stuff at home, and then and, get, and we get, we just and... we just put it together, and it doesn't matter if it's if it's in time <laughs> or not, right? Like. We just, <laughs> That would, that would be very interesting. Like if if I'm going to do that, I will definitely ask you to take part. That would be fun. That would be mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 st- I, I get amazed every time I think about the fact that, that we can do things like this because of you know how long we've been doing music, right? And remember when a four track cassette. Deck was a was a you know a major step for us, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, but you know the the funny thing for me was that I could always imagine the future technology. It wasn't available, but I I knew sort of it's going to come because if I can think about it, if I can imagine somebody else, can. somebody else is doing it, right? <laughs> Just doing it, yeah. <laughs> so that's why some, somehow like this whole development and you know like in the early yeah, I was born in 72 so for me from like say the mid 80s I was aware of musical gear mm-hmm. and I was I was visiting music stores and mm-hmm. trying uh the Casio uh CZ1 or, and, you know like like yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so and and then seeing like uh, uh an Atari ST with notator on it and like mm-hmm. like so basically I have I have been part of the digi- digitalization yep. of the music uh um yeah, from the from the beginning, yeah, from the beginning. Um, but I was not so much into uh, like I never really I never properly recorded to tape. 
I mean, I, I did do the four track thing, yes, mm -hmm. but um, so for me, it's it's still something that uh, um, like thinking about the the great records that were made, like where people were like cutting tape. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did, I mean, when, did, uh, when did you start recording? Like, was that in the '90s, or did you? Did you have stuff yeah, in the, in the '90s for sure. And and I had done some work um, in studios back back in the '80s as well. Um, you know, more with friends and you know musical compatriots. And um, I had a good friend who went to New England Conservatory, and I did some sessions in there electronic music studio there that back in the back in the old days when they had the the wonderful old uh, modular mugs and and uh buccular systems and all of that it was great <laughs> and i i brought in my old roland guitar synth and and did my uh andy summers chords do you, do you, do you still have it I do. I do still have it. I, you know, at one point I thought about selling it and I couldn't get anything for it. And I was like, well, why sell it? <laughs> Just keep it. And every now and again, I pull it out and it's, you know, it's a thing. It had such a limited amount of, of sonic capability, but it was still extraordinary when it happened. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we think about discipline and where would we be without that album? So, yes, yes, yes. And so, so there are these um, more modern versions of of these of that pedal, right? Which is the mm -hmm. the uh, GR three hundred, which I've been using for a few years, and the GR one, which is like a small boss pedal. And mm -hmm. so, um, just you you may get a kick out of this. So, I was in the studio with Gary Husband a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. and we recorded we you know recorded a second album together. And I was I didn't I I did not bring a guitar. So that was kind of my challenge, my idea to use whatever instrument is available in the studio. And I used a Telecaster and another string guitar. And I was also playing Rhodes. And mm. so I put the guitar synth pedal, you know, after the Rhodes. Yeah. And and um, I was getting like these amazing sounds, like <laughs> from the Rhodes going through that guitar so synth cool. pedal. Yeah. And oh, that's it, great. And it's that kind. Of, it's that kind of kind of attitude, let's say, that kind of experimentation that I dig when yeah. people do that. So okay. um, and so, is there is there any secret, let's say, about your sound and your playing that you can share with us? Um. Well, I'll start with the fretless guitar. And there's one thing that I had added to that that other fretless guitar players I've seen haven't done, and that's that I've got a sustainiac on it. And that allows all kinds of phrasing possibility and, um, you know, because a fretless guitar doesn't sustain well in its, you know, normal condition. And so that opens up this whole world of, of phrasing that, that, wouldn't otherwise exist. Um, you know, I have a bunch of outboard gear that I use and, um, and a lot of it, they're all fun. They're all cool. Some things I, I feel like I couldn't be without. I've got this um, Echolution 2 uh, delay. 
that I adore and uh, they don't make it anymore. And I'm terrified if it breaks what I'm going to do because, you know, um, those of us who use long delays, um, <laughs> nobody gets it. <laughs> what, are, what do we do? Um, you know, um, I, sh I can't believe I never got uh, a Lexicon PCM 42 when I was there. And you know, and it, it, right, and mm -hmm. and now I'm like, okay, now uh, <laughs> so, um, but that's you know the what it really comes down to for me with the stuff that that I do that's really unusual and doesn't sound much like a guitar. It's a, it's how I combine different effects to 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 create something that that becomes completely unrecognizable. And um, it was funny, you know, I, I did a I did a record with uh, Robert Yershendahl, um two years ago, I guess now. Well, when was it? We were over there to 2019 and it came out last year. And um, he's also, you know, using the guitar synth and doing amazing things with it. And, he, you and I all have this great textural sense of how to how to manipulate sound. And, and what I loved was that it was completely, our approaches were so different from each other to, but all in the, all in the service of trying to extend the voice of the instrument. And I, I you know, that's, I, that's what, that's what excites me. Like when I sit down to practice, it's very rarely am I running scales or whatever. It's it's like I'll start and go, okay, take one note. How can I manipulate this note? And then, okay, where's the next note going to come from? And I'll start moving things around. And then eventually, where does that take me two hours down the line, right? Where have I, where have I gone from here to here? And, and, um, you know that's that's the exciting part of of making music for me is that is that so with with a fretless guitar when like the the lead playing um mm. do you go direct like with that guitar into into your computer nowadays or? uh you know sometimes i do and sometimes i don't i've been using the um the uh Strymon iridium uh as an amp simulator into the into the computer i've also got an amp that i uh, uh fender princeton that that sounds great and and i'll use that sometimes as well um but a lot of it is direct now um uh, there's nothing like the feel of an amplifier and having your pant legs move and the you know the movement of air and feeling like you know and especially um the fretless because of the sustainiac i can do all kinds of i can get the sustain i want on a on a regular guitar i like the feedback you know um i spent so much time with david torn we you know we're we're the people that just you know i need to feel the there's a physical connection between you know when the air starts getting out of the amp back into the guitar and it it begins to really move and and i that feeling is pretty irreplaceable mm -hmm. you know i've i went uh well we with sigmund went uh, to using in-ears like maybe six mm -hmm. years ago or so yes and and um it was that time also when i started using the um 
AU8 model of touch guitars, which mm, is yeah, a yeah. semi semi acoustic mm -hmm. instrument, mm -hmm. and and it was fascinating because I was also at the beginning I was thinking I would I would I need that feedback kind of and that that you mm -hmm. know, and it was kind of true. But then I got used to it to the way the instrument is reacting without mm -hmm. the the sound source the the speaker on stage. But then I remember there was like one gig at. Um, a place called, uh, I think in Belgium, uh, the Spirit of '66. It's the name of the venue, and and that 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 was like one of the most amazing shows. And I, then later I learned why, because the instrument was feedbacking because I was so close to this to the PA, right? And and it it just felt so amazing, like everything was shaking. <laughs> and and since I control control like the the noise gating with my foot anyway. Right. Right. Yep. It it really is kind of like it's such a joy to yeah. have that have that intensity, that electricity uh if available. Funnily enough, if funnily enough, this week, um, in fact, I think probably tomorrow, I'm gonna um I'm working on something new with uh with Stefan. And um there's one piece that um we're we're doing a new version of one of the tunes from our duo album. And he wanted to use the solo from that. And I thought, no, 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 no. I, I need to do a new solo. You know, we can't do the same thing. And he was like, but it's so magical. And, and I had done direct with the regular guitar. He's like, sound just isn't the same. I said, I know, I know. Look, my wife just left town this morning. Okay. I'm going to crank up the amplifier and off we'll go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, when I first worked with Robert Rich in uh, 2006 mm. or seven, mm -hmm. we did this album called 11 Questions. Yep. And actually, uh, one of the things we did for that album, Ambient album, was to record as loud as possible. So mm. everything was super loud in the studio. You, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell, I think, if you listen to the record, but it somehow it creates a completely different vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's, you know, it is, it's, it's a funny thing, but, but we're musicians, we can play, we can put the headphones on and I know what the notes I want to play and I know what the feel is going to be and I can do all those things and I can get a really good recording. There's just something about movement of air. It's still really, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We interact with it, and and it changes how you think. It changes how you feel, and it's bad for our hearing. I know, and <laughs> you know, and and that's all true. And we, you know, I, I don't know. I I I've been minimizing how much I do that, but every now and again, there's just no getting around it. You just so how how are you making these decisions, which sound to use which pieces of gear to use uh, as you yeah. said it's part it's part of the creative process for you right it is it is and um you know it's sometimes it will be right there like there's um the there's one tune on on our on um crossings um sunrise that you know, Stefan came up, he, he woke up in the morning and had this musical idea in his head, mm. put it down that day, sent it to me. And, you know, he's what, nine hours ahead of me. Mm -hmm. 
sent it to me. I woke up, had this thing in my inbox, put it on, and I knew immediately what my part was going to be. I mean, just, you know, it was right there, what I was going to do, what the sound was going to be, how I was going to play it, how I would phrase things. And it was just magic. Other times you have to play something and go, no, that's not, that's not right. That's not right. Maybe this other guitar or, you know, um, no, fretless isn't right for this one. I want to, I want to dig in a little bit and, and, you know, use a regular. And then other times you start one way and end up another way. And, and it's not, it's just part of the creative process. It's, 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 to me, it's rare when it all is like right there, blindingly obvious. Um, it's a great feeling when it happens, you know, it's that is it's, it's like, um, he and I still marvel over that, you know, that, that, that one piece, just because it, for both of us, it was just this moment of, of inspiration that, uh, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. I'm, I'm sometimes forcing myself into situations like that. Um, like, so for example, sometimes like people are shocked to see that I don't have a studio setup. And mm -hmm. I, you know, on one hand, I would really like to have one so I can just sit down and work, but then it really is not the way that I work. <laughs> the, <laughs> the way that I work is that I sub, I need to have limited options in order to start working somehow. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's why, like I said, like I decided to go to the studio to record with Gary and I didn't take my guitar because I wanted to see what's going to happen. And I take like a couple of pedals. So, so, so I'm always trying to kind of like restrict my palette. Sure. Right. So in order to, in order to uh, be inspired and, and usually what happens then is what you just described that there is like this, um, because like I can't really prepare myself for what is going to happen. What, what then happens is something that is really fresh, really fresh, but also appropriate somehow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So because that's, that's kind of like, like the, the biggest challenge, I think as a musician, is to find the part that's appropriate. Because like, like, and I can always go back, like, like talking of Stefan, right? Like he said, oh, can you play a solo just like that one back then? And I said, yeah, I could, but I don't want to. Exactly. You know, he has the, he has the composer hat, you know, with the capital mm -hmm. C yeah. and, and he wears it really well. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, it's a funny thing is we're, you know, we're now into, the the thing we're doing that'll be our what our our fourth um, project in the last year and a half together, and and so um, I'm you know I'm I'm more improvisational and he's much more structured, and so he's thinking oh this is exactly the vibe you know and and I'm like yeah but let me let me try something new. <laughs> You know, uh, it's a it's it's an interesting dynamic, though. And um, but this new thing is, is very cool. I'm looking forward to getting your ears around it. You're going to you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's, and, he sent me some stuff already. I oh, think, cool. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you have an idea. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. Hey, so the Burnt Belief album, the new one, when is mm. it going to be out? 
Uh, October 22nd. Mm -hmm. on, on your label? On Alchemy, yep. And meaning, and meaning mostly Bandcamp or what is your mostly Bandcamp? But it will be on it will be on um, on uh, Burning Shed, and um, and various you know all the all the digital um, download yeah sites yeah. will be there too. Yeah. So, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this because uh, it's been a little while since we did a Burnt Belief album, and um, it kind of happened by accident. Um, because, uh, you know, I had done this record where, um, I was playing piano, uh, for most of it. And, and it was, um, the idea was like you were doing with the roads and running it through your synth. I was running my digital piano through my guitar rig and getting all kinds of interesting sounds and textures and, and did a whole record using that. And then after I finished it, I, I did, I started another piece that I really liked but I didn't really want to go down the same path. And, and so I, I sent it to Colin just as a, Oh, Hey, I've, I've just done this thing. What do you think? And he said, Oh, this is great. You want some bass? And I said, yeah, lovely. <laughs> and he said, you know, um, I've been playing upright a lot lately because, you know, um, he, he's had for years a gig uh, in a club playing jazz standards um playing upright and and just kind of when he's not on the road with people he you know he has this regular gig that he loves and you know with the pandemic he's not doing that and upright bass you have to work at otherwise your chops go away so he had been spending a while you know woodshedding on it and he said what if we try to do like a whole record with me playing upright this time. And I said, great, bring it on. Let's go. <laughs> and so the last piece on the record was where it began. And then, and then we did the opening tune. A lot of our pieces, you know, I'll do like a soundscapey thing, right? One of my cloud guitar things. And he'll then take that and often he'll like run it through a slicer to create a rhythmic pattern out of my textural guitar stuff that didn't previously have any rhythm right mm -hmm. and that was kind of that's one of the secret sauces of burnt belief was that that's how a lot of pieces begin and then you know then we flush them out from there as a composition so the opening tune on the record he didn't end up doing any slicing on it he just kind of he felt like it was this wonderful textural thing and he just gave me a bunch of phrases on his bass and immediately I had the picture in my head of um, the first Terry Ripdahl, Jack Dijonette, Miroslav Vitus record. And so I sampled the original bit of drums that start the record and looped that and then, and then used that as a pilot for Vinny's drums and created this, this piece that sort of, it's it's a total homage to Terry Ripdahl, who's like one of my all-time heroes. And it came out great. It it totally feels like you know the band is all there together and, and we've got Alexei Sachs on on trumpet and it's fabulous. He's just oh, he's great. <laughs> but, uh, he's great. a great player. Yeah, I, I was gonna ask who TR is, so now I know who TR is. Yes, it's Terry Ripdahl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now it all makes sense, right? It's like, you know, um, 
Yeah, he, I mean, Terry Riptall for me was, again, you know, when I'm first playing electric guitar and, and you know, this, this is 1978, Holdsworth is around, Steve Morris is around, Al DiMiola, all these people playing all these notes. And Terry Riptall came out with this album Waves, where with one note, he completely changed how I viewed the electric guitar. I mean, just leveled me. And I, you know, to this day, I still, every time I listen to that record, I think this is this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, and then a lot of the other pieces kind of, they begin with Colin just having an idea for either he takes my, you know, makes does the slicing thing with my textures and then does like a baseline and a, and a, and a drum part. And then I take that and build, build a tune out of it. And then eventually it goes back to him and maybe he'll add another part. And then eventually we kind of settle on, okay, here's the form. Mm -hmm. And then we go and redo all of our parts. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a really, really interactive process of composition. Yes, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like, and and the title of the album is mutual isolation which yes. also makes sense right yes it's like <laughs> it is it is an absolute it is it is exactly what was happening you know we were all mutually isolated and and not very happy about it by that point you know um because by the time we started working on it we'd all been locked down for for at least six months i'm trying to think of when we started it was yeah, it had been at least because it was fall of of last year. So yeah, but yeah, so we'd been locked down for six months and we were all tired of it. And and we had, you know, again, we had this idea, we're gonna we're gonna cut it live in the end, right? We'll we'll go through the writing process. But um no, the world had other plans. <laughs> so yeah, like I'm I'm really fascinated by the amount but also the quality of the music that um my circle of friends has put out um, in the past 16 months or so it's been it's been fascinating to watch hasn't it you you yeah. have a wonderful breadth of of friends that are really doing a lot and i and i think i was discussing with somebody else that there have been sort of two camps one has been they shut down their brains shut down and they said i can't deal with this and i don't know what to do and i don't know where to go and then the others have been well i have nothing literally nothing else i can do so i'm gonna make music <laughs> so you know um it's been it's been interesting but it has it's been crazy how much has has really happened and um yeah. And with, and what's great too is is that it's it's all for me. It's been really interesting people that I've known for a long time, but haven't worked with, and um, that's been the great part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, like on the on the uh, level of my teaching, for example, like I discovered some people come like in a completely new way because of the lockdowns and people were working from home so they mm -hmm. actually had time 
like probably the time that they were commuting otherwise, you sure. know, and they were like taking lessons or having meetings. And, and I realized at that point, like these guys, because sometimes I can be kind of like very, uh, how should I say this? Like I, I can be quite prejudiced about people who kind of like talk the talk or walk the walk, right? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. <clears throat> but realizing that in a lot of cases I was wrong. And, mm -hmm. and that was actually very nice to experience sure. that, that people really found the energy to kind of like go out there and do the things that they have, were planning to do for a long time. And they actually did it. And mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. I, and it's, it's an amazing outcome of, of these challenging times, I find, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and just <clears throat> going back to the beginning of the, uh, this whole affair with COVID that we all have. Right. Uh, you know that I was in 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 Japan, and that's yes, where, I know. Like, and you know the very first the very first lockdown album in our circles was, was the one with Gary Husband with Gary and you, which yeah. which is I can't tell you how much I love that album. It is just fantastic, and I, and it really it it was so perfect for the moment, and has remained so for me. It, mm -hmm. it has really? wow. it has really hit just the right note and i what's great about the recording is i would have loved to have been there in the studio watching this go down but you almost feel like the the presentation of it is you almost feel like you are anyway it yeah. really is such a beautiful intimate record and and um it's funny it 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 paralleled at the time you did that or the time you released it, I was in the middle of doing um, my record with uh, Peter Chovers. And they're very similar in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, uh, certainly the spirit is really, we were all in exactly this. It was a very introspective time when we're all sort of looking inside ourselves and going, okay, I'm really uncertain about the state of the world right now and and my place in it. And the music that we that we that you did and that I did in these cases was really um very intimate and and really yeah. Isn't it amazing how how it's almost like how we almost how we almost anticipated that feeling because like really it was the very early days. Yes. Yeah. It's, but it, it was. I mean, you were you were so it was so early that you know you were you weren't even sure you were going to get home, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this but, is this is how crazy all of it was, and I I remember reading that you were over there and that you you know you had the you had the one show and then everything got canceled and it was and i was thinking these poor guys have to be wondering how am i getting home what's you know and and all of that just uh, you were so fortunate to be able to walk into the studio and do that when you could yeah. <laughs> and get it i mean I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of backstory to, to that as well. But what I think is worth mentioning that, so the album was recorded there in Tokyo. And really the moment when it struck me, what had really happened was when I was at Narita Airport going back mm -hmm. home. 
yeah. uh, was that the airport was empty. And it's yeah. an, an airport where it's used to having like 2 million people running around. Sure. Like, sure. <laughs> at least that's what it felt like, you know? Right. But, and that was, that was the moment. It was after recording the album where it dawned on me, okay, this is severe, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I think things things have changed, and I've I have actually taken uh, a few flights in the past couple mm. months, and yeah. I've I felt safe enough so that I think I would do it again. Yeah, and um, so let's see. I mean, we've, I hope there's yeah. We've uh, we've been back and forth, you know, across the country to our other home, and my wife just left this morning, and and it's. It's okay. We're you know we're re, you know we're vaccinated and, and you wear your mask and and it's okay. Mm -hmm. But I was um, I was supposed to be playing the um, what is it the Viljans Guitar Festival in Estonia next week, and I bailed. I said I just don't yeah, okay. feel yeah. like I can do an international flight right now. I you know especially when I don't know. Will I get turned around because I'm American? Will I be, you know, all of the uncertainty um, surrounding it? I just didn't, it didn't make sense yet. And I'm really sad because I, you know, I love playing with, with Robert and Alexei, but next year, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what yeah, we're but, but it's, it's, it's true that the intercontinental stuff is really hard to pull off uh, in this yes. situation. Yes. And and in a way, it's it's a little bit sad because I that was what I was doing. Yes. You know? Yes. So <laughs> yeah, for a long time you've been you've been putting a lot of miles on you know around the yeah. globe. And, yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was nine nine years. Yeah. Nine years of touring with with Pat and Tony. Yeah. And uh, it seems like we will be back in April in mm -hmm. the U.S. Great. Um, but you can never be 100% sure. But, but right now, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I say, you know, uh, 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 I certainly hope you will be, and I hope we're all ready to go. I, I boy, I felt so weird. I went to the, uh, the symphony here in Portland on Saturday, and I'm still really uncomfortable being around people. And mm -hmm. it, it felt really strange. And um, it was so nice to see, you know, music and... <laughs> You know, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, of a, of a, uh, like you know getting traumatized mm -hmm. about or being traumatized about the very human need of being close to other people is yes. kind of dangerous. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So it's, and and that to me is the that's the part that's been so hard about all of this is that 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 human connection mm -hmm. physical human connection mm -hmm. that we've that we've avoided feels really weird to me and and there are there are things that i really long for again and that's that's really one of them you know so yeah, let's, let's let's hope that, that we, uh, we will be able to heal on that level. You know? Yes, yes, yeah. It, it's going to be necessary because they're healing. Boy, there's a whole lot of that that needs to happen, and and it's not just 
the pandemic. There's been a lot of yeah. a, a lot of breakdowns um, amongst people that need to need to get repaired yes. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And one of the nice yeah. things, though, is one of the things that can help heal that is music. It's I, I agree. It's one of the things that I think if, if, if everyone universally said, what's the one thing we can all agree needs to happen? It's music. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that, it's that, you know, sense of what happens when, when music is happening, mm -hmm. something, you know, something hugely positive happens to people. Yes. For sure. Yeah. yeah so let's, let's make sure that we, uh, make live music happen again. Yes, yeah, for sure. It's, it's it's our duty. <laughs> it, it, it is right. It is, and and to ourselves as well as to yeah. those who listen. Yeah, it, exactly. It really is, and yeah. and yeah, definitely. You know, Gary, Gary Gary husband. He told me that um, he said that quite a few of his colleagues um, are kind of like thinking of quitting mm, sure and, yes and yes it's, it's uh yeah i, I don't, can, I don't I even need to comment on that yeah. yeah i can i can definitely see it i mean i you know vinnie his his gigs went from you know 150 a year to nothing mm -hmm. and he didn't know what to do with himself and mm -hmm. if if i didn't have a new burnt belief for him to wrap his head around he was he was on the verge of of you know being devastated and and you know just giving him something to look forward to was huge and i'm i'm really happy i was able to do that and and his playing on the album like, good grief he he nailed it and and did it in, in a way that was you know you can tell he was just like i need this so badly right now um but it is it's true and and i know i mean gary used to you know play with steve hunt and, and alan's band and and steve i know um he played on my brother's album and we're working on a new one and you know he's teaching at berkeley and that's now back on but he's incredibly frustrated with where things are i know that and i yeah it's bad <laughs> it's you know on the other hand um every time you know i open my inbox and have something new from somebody i think oh it's going to be a good day <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Okay. I think. I think. Like. I. I. I'm for myself. I'm only uh, crashing the surface of you because uh, <laughs> I'd like to know more. And but but let's leave it at that for today. Okay. And and let let give people a chance to kind of like listen digest. to your music and digest <laughs> yeah. the conversation, but also <laughs> also to listen to your wonderful playing and your 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 work over decades. <laughs> we have to say <laughs> it's terrifying, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And um, well, thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll talk again soon. 
Yeah, this is such a good time. <laughs> I really, really enjoy this. So. Yeah, you, you know, in a way, this is this is one of my responses to the situation. You know, just just finally talk to the people that you always just, wanted to talk to. And just, you know, I mean, because you and I, the times we have sat and talked, there's always been this or that, and you know, and so it's just great to just sit and have an actual conversation. It's lovely. <laughs> no, I, I tell you, tell you a secret. So I'm one of those people who kind of like I really feel other per people's presence mm. like so like if somebody stands close enough to me i yeah, get yeah. this and i do remember your presence very well i do remember your physical presence and that's uh short as i am that's a compliment <laughs> yeah. well, but that's a com that's a compliment you know i really and i, I felt and you, you do not have a sh your presence is not short not not at all <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, people wouldn't be able to tell, like, watching Nobody our faces on Zoom. <laughs> hey, look, so that, that, was, that was the one away. secret you gave away. <laughs> 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 hey, thank you so much, my friend. And, uh, thank you. This is yeah. great. We'll bye. talk again. Talk to you soon. Yes, yes. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>